wake up today to be average. So why are we living that way? I truly do believe that God wants us to be wealthy. God desires for us to live our best You can have everything that you want in this life. You can have the money, the family, the marriage, the business, the car, whatever it is that you want. You can have it. Wealth is your birthright. You deserve to be wealthy. These are the secrets of a money mogul. The keys to living an abundant life. Hey moguls, welcome to another episode of the Secrets of a Money Mogul podcast. I'm your host, Jaleesa Ann, and this is episode 12. Um, I first off just want to start by saying Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. We are like, I don't know, five days or so until Christmas, um, which means, y'all, that we are less than two weeks away from 2019. That is so crazy. Like, this year has literally flown by so fast. Um, So I just want to say happy holidays, Merry Christmas. If you're listening to this, um, you know, after Christmas or after the holidays, then still still happy holidays. I also want to take a moment um and I did this on Thanksgiving too, but I also want to take a moment to send love to anyone that really struggles during the holidays. Um I know that amongst all the cheer, you know, some people get really excited about Christmas and New Year's and all of these holidays that I know that there are people who um really struggle with the holidays and And that could be for whatever reason, whatever personal reason that is. Maybe they lost a loved one, you know, maybe um, they feel alone or or whatever it might be. But I just want to reach out to those people. If that's you, I just want to give you a hug. I just want to send love. And I just want to say, you know, um, happy holidays to you, too. I know I know that it it may not be the, the happiest time for you, but. I just want to tell you guys that today's episode is going to be so good because y'all, I am literally still coming off this high from seeing the Michelle Obama speak live. Oh my goodness. She was amazing. So I felt it only right um, to kind of go through what I learned from her. Um, And also, in true podcast fashion, I thought it's only necessary that I insert clips of her actually telling these stories. Because listen, y'all, I can't tell her stories like she tells her stories. Um, So this is on her Becoming tour. She made a stop in Dallas. I was able to um, get a ticket from one of my really good friends who gifted me a ticket, which I really, really appreciate it. And we went um, together um, and enjoyed this wonderful event. So uh, I will tell you guys that when I do switch to the clips of Michelle, you know, have grace with me. This th- Those clips were recorded in a stadium. You know, she was mic'd, but it's not like being in a studio mic. So don't let... Um, the audio quality or anything keep you from getting these gems that she dropped y'all because it was so good. So I have about, let's see how many takeaways do I have? I have about nine takeaways, (laughs) um, from the talk and, uh, I'll just get right into it. So let's first talk about the first 
takeaway, uh, which she talks about not listening to your naysayers. How many of us have people that are in our ear telling us we can't do it? You know, they always have something to say uh, when it comes to us going after our dreams or even trying to achieve anything, especially when it comes to money or financial freedom. Like, if you mention some of your money goals, especially if you're in this community, I know that if you are following me and you're a money mogul, you know that you have ambitious money goals. Like you don't only just want to be debt free, but you want to have, you know, an abundance, basically all that God has for you. You don't want to just live a normal life like you are going to have naysayers. So I want to take a moment to listen in to what Michelle Obama had to say about the naysayers. Enjoy. High school, my brother went to Princeton, and as you heard, I thought, well, I know that didn't. I know I'm smarter than him. I didn't have that inferiority complex. He was very cute, and I loved him, but I was smarter. So I was like, okay, you got it, Princeton. Sounds good. I'm going to do it too. So I go to my counselor, probably one of hundreds of students at the time, because it was a public magnet school, a big class. Um, I was senior class treasurer, I was the top of my class. I was active, engaged in the honor society. There was nothing on paper that said that I shouldn't. But that counselor, sight unseen without really knowing me, told me, you're not Princeton material. And I share that because obviously it worked out okay. <laughs> but that statement, while I was able to get over it, it was a punch. It was a, it, 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 it's something obviously that I remember, you know, um, and I could have done one of two things. I could have heard that negative uh, feedback and gone off and taken Princeton off my list, but thank God she wasn't the only voice in my ear, and that's what I want to urge you to do. We have a Listening to the naysayers, the doubters, and there will be many. Um, they don't go away. I write in the book. They are, I still, I, I'm filling up a stadium, but just today I read an article about somebody who's still calling my senior thesis incompetent. <laughs> an article today. I'm still hating. <laughs> right now. It's like, okay, dude, read my thesis. Let me get some other papers out. They never, I, I share that, not because it bothers me now, but it never goes away. There will always be somebody telling you what you can't do because there are people out here who want some folks to think small. They want you to set your bar low because um, they don't think you're worried or worthy or they need you to think small so that they can feel big. And so, again and again and again to choose to listen to the people who lift you up. And all young people have somebody in their lives. And that's what I did. I worked around my guidance counselor. Instead, I went to the teachers who knew me, I went to the people who had seen me, and I wrote my application and I talked about my reach. I said, yes, you're right. maybe I am reaching with Princeton, but doggone it, reaching is all I know. I am not networked, I am not wealthy. I don't know much, but my story is powerful. Let me tell you about my dad and how he worked and the pride and the values. I, I owned all of my story 
as a way to say, I'll show you, and not only will I get into Princeton, but I will get in being fully me. Was that not good, y'all? Like, seriously, that was so profound. So takeaway number two um, is that you have to be anchored in who you are. Otherwise, you will get swept away in someone else's hurricane. In this part of the talk, uh, Michelle Obama was talking about, you know, basically being grounded in who you are and knowing what you want to do. Um, and she was also talking about how how life can be fleeting. You know, she was recognizing that at a at a period in her life. And I think that I've recognized that these last couple of years that, you know, we're not promised today. We're not, we're not promised tomorrow. And so um, one of the things she she says in this section is that if you were to die tomorrow, would you want to be doing what you are doing today? Would you want to be living the life that you are living um, right now. And I think that that really stuck out with me because it's one of the reasons that even though I wanted to quit my business, even though I wanted to just give up because being an entrepreneur and, and doing all these things, uh, was, was difficult for me. I, it wasn't a cakewalk. It wasn't like the, oh, Hey, I made, um, what are, what are all the things? Oh, make six figures in six weeks. All those top headlines if you guys are in the entrepreneur crowd y'all know but if you aren't then don't worry about that you know the the popcorn success um even though I wanted to quit I knew that God had bigger plans for me and I knew that I had to persevere um because if I died tomorrow I didn't want to I didn't want to not go after my dreams right I didn't want to at least try I didn't want to at least try to start a podcast even if nobody listens so I appreciate all of y'all that listen um but I want you guys to listen into this section and just think about how it relates to your life and and what you could be doing differently um at this time so enjoy well this is part of why I had to start soul searching because I knew he was a man on a mission. I didn't know it was a political mission. <laughs> I, I might have slowed down a bit, but, uh, but he thought he had big thoughts about impacting the world in a way that I hadn't met. I mean, I had never met a, a professional young black guy that had been a community organizer. Um, and when I saw him in action going to that church basement on the far side side and just turn into this other serious, respected person, um, I was like, oh my God, this, this guy has a big vision for himself. But I knew that if I didn't anchor myself in who I was gonna be, that I could get just swept up in his, in, in his hurricane. And I knew I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be somebody's appendage. I didn't want to just be following behind somebody else's appendage. So I had to think long and hard about, okay, I'm in this firm. Do I really want to practice law? I'm not really happy here. And I'm not having an impact. And here I am with a brother who was having an impact. And it's like, well, what's impact? I have to think about my life. I also lost my father at the same time. I lost one of my best friends suddenly. So I was experiencing how fleeting life can be. And I was thinking to myself, if I were to die tomorrow, would I want to be sitting on the 47th floor of a corporate law firm looking at documents? You know, my office, uh, ironically, 
was on the 47th floor that faced south, so I could see my neighborhood, the neighborhood where I came from, but I couldn't touch it. I wasn't a part of it. I was other, and it didn't make me feel good. It wasn't what, you know, for me it was selfish. Um, I wanted to have a career that filled me up inside, and I always got that feeling when I was giving myself to someone else, when I was mentoring someone else, when I was helping someone else. Um, and I, that's what I had to think. What were the things that I did on a daily basis that brought me joy? And it was when I was working with people and helping people. So that's going to bring me to my third takeaway. And um, my third takeaway has to do with dating and relationships. You know, uh, Michelle Obama told the story about her and Obama and how they met and how um, he was her summer intern. So she was he was the intern at the firm and she was you know, chosen to kind of like guide him around. So she told this story, but um, I didn't include the story in this clip, but I wanted to kind of give you that background story. But she talks about when you're dating someone um, to pay attention to their character and pay attention to how they treat, you know, others and how they treat people who can do absolutely nothing for them. Um, And then she talks about how big Obama's vision was, you know, dating someone who has a big vision. Um, And some of the reasons why she doesn't believe in love at first sight. So, um, uh, and another thing she talks about is, is um, doing things on a daily basis that bring you joy. So I want you guys to listen to this section um, because there's, there's definitely some nuggets in this one. Now, I'm driving a sob. We're dating, right? I've got my subscription, wine service, all of that. I go to visit Barack in school, and he gets in his car at the time. There was a yellow Datsun that literally had a hole rusted in it. See the floor? The ground. I was like, dude, I can see the ground. He's like, don't worry about that. You know? <laughs> you know? And I was thinking, this guy doesn't care about money at all. You know, but then I was impressed by that. I was impressed by the fact that he was thinking bigger and broader than himself. And ladies, the other thing that time allowed me to see was how he was not just in a dating relationship with me, but I watched closely how he treated everyone, how he treated the ladies in that church basement, how he treated the doormen at our office building, how he treated every secretary. You know, he treated people equally. I saw the way he loved his mother because it was important to me to know that a man could handle a strong woman, that he actually liked women. And that takes a second to understand. That's why I don't believe in love at first sight. I believe you you can feel something, but to marry someone, you have to see him unfold. And I was able to see that. I mean, the time of finishing school and all that allowed me to see him and to really fall in love with with the full person that he was. That you took the time to get to know. Yeah, but I had to get myself together. This brings me to my fourth takeaway, which is put family first and learn how to ask for help. It is so important for us to really value our family and our home life. And I love that Michelle had talked about that because that is something that um, 
I really have been working on and I really have been, you know, not necessarily. I always say, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to balance it all, but not necessarily trying to balance it all. But knowing that my family um, comes first, you know, my family comes first and also learning how to ask for help. You know, for so long, I thought that I had to do this, do this thing by myself. And you hear Valerie, who's um, interviewing her, say, you know, she she thought that she needed to do it all. You know, she didn't want to seem vulnerable or she didn't want to seem weak. And I want you guys to know, y'all that are listening, like, don't think you have to do this alone. Don't think that, you know, and not just this parenting thing, like whatever is going on in your life, don't think you have to do life alone, you know, ask for help when needed. Even when it comes to our spouses or our partners or our significant others, like sometimes it is so easy to just assume that they just know what we want or that they know what needs to be done. And I remember when um, we were doing our premarital counseling, it's like, they are not mind readers, you know, like, ask for help. <laughs> um, let them know what you need. Just open your mouth. You know, I think they say, uh, what's the saying? Closed mouths don't get fed. So um, learning to ask for help. And another thing that she talks about is this um, community, you know, having a community of women, having a community of mothers, um, having a community of like-minded people is so important because not only does it keep you anchored in your goals, but it lets you know that it's possible. And it also lets you know that you're not the only one struggling. Like you're not the only one going through um, difficulties. And I think that that's vitally important, no matter where you are in your life, to have people where you can lean on and people that you can talk to and people that you know have been there and can relate to you and not only have been there, but can possibly give you some tips, tips and tricks on how to kind of, um, overcome that. I will say that, you know, this year being a new mom, like I have leaned tremendously on my, um, community of other mothers and it has been truly amazing. I think that that's one of the things that really helped me push through this year. I know we joined a mom group when my daughter was three weeks old and we we go to this play date into this mom group every Monday and you know we talk about some of our struggles and we share things that are working or not working and I remember especially in the beginning I learned so many tips um, but also having grace and not judging each other you know none of us are perfect none of us are doing this um 100% you know perfectly you know sometimes we mess up and I think that it's it's amazing to see someone like Michelle Obama who we put on this pedestal say these things you know and talk and talk so openly about her past and about um, things that she struggled with and about some of the mistakes that she has made but I want you guys to listen in on this section and and really take away some of these uh, key points you know and I used to joke that Valerie because Laura her daughter was a baby when I first started working with her we'd be in these high powered meetings because she was the head of all planning and development for the entire city of Chicago let me brag on my girlfriend commissioner seats in the city of Chicago she ran all of the development so you'd have these big shots coming in with development and, you know we'd be in Valerie's office I'm taking notes and Kathy would call Laura's on the phone and she'd be cursing somebody out and telling somebody about something. She'd be like, 
Hold on, please. Hi, sweetie. <laughs> and she would unapologetically give all of herself to her daughter. It was always, we got blacked out. She didn't care who was in the room. And she would talk to Laura. I don't know what Laura was talking about. And we had brownies. Oh, you did. And tell me more. And watching you and some of my other mentors being mothers and professionals and and still making it work. I was as much attracted to who you were. You know, you talk about finding your light. You know, I didn't come to work for the city, really. I came to work for you. But you, you, you brought up a subject that we spent a lot of time talking about. And you met me at a time where I had already gone through some things. Yeah. And I was fortunate in that my mother worked. And I can remember, listen, I would call my mother, and she had the same rule, always put her through. And she was a nursery school teacher when I was very young. And I would be on the phone, and I could hear her high heels coming down the hall to the telephone, getting louder and louder, and the calmness that it gave me. And I always wanted my daughter to have the same thing. But I think part of what I did when I was very young is I thought I was super woman. And I was going to do everything a working mom should do, and I was going to be a great spouse, and I was going to make baby food from scratch, and I was going to do a whole lot of stupid stuff. And, and I was never going to ask for help. Because if I asked for help, that meant I was needy, and I was vulnerable. And so I pretended both to myself, and even worse, to my friends who were struggling too. And you, like just a little bit younger, but you really had a circle of friends that you shared this with, and you were very open and honest about your challenges. And how did you get to, to be that person? You know, maybe it was being the youngest and not thinking I was supposed to do it all. You know, maybe it's birth order. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe it was just understanding that I think I knew early on, why would I want to do this by myself? You know, why, why would I want to try to do this parenting thing without a good posse of other mothers that were doing the same thing? You know, so I was finding my girlfriend, some of my best friends today met at the hairdresser, girl, you pregnant? What do you do? This girl? Okay, here's my number. When you have that baby, we gonna get together. Um, and slowly we started just picking up women and all of our girls who grew up together are still best friends to this day. A lot of those women and so when you're working and if your spouse isn't around and I, all my friends were in different because some were single parents, some had spouses who traveled, some had spouses that just didn't do nothing. <laughs> but what I what 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 my girlfriends and this mothering community gave me, first of all, it gave me a sense that there wasn't any right way to do it. Because when you're mothering with other people, you see things you agree with, it's like, you feed them that. And then it's like, they're alive. <laughs> you know? It's like, there are many ways to do this mothering thing right. And we just didn't judge each other. You know, it was like, girl, can you pick them up? It's like, my baby didn't eat tonight. And it's like, they're alive. We're good. We're good. <laughs> you start seeing that. And, and I found that my girlfriends made me feel better even when I didn't think I was doing things perfectly. And we kind of gave each other permission to be a little broken about it. You know, yeah, that was one of the times he gave her back. But we gave ourselves this community of just calm. Um, and, I, and we talk about this all the time. First of all, we have to be 
kinder to ourselves as working mothers. Um, we, we really do have to forgive ourselves because there's no one right way to do this thing called parenting and we get this notion in our head of what it's supposed to look like and it's all messy and that's a good thing. And if you can embrace the mess a little bit <laughs> and, 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 and forgive yourself, that's what I, I, I want for my daughters. So key point number five, my takeaway, my fifth takeaway from um, the Becoming Tour was open the lines of communication and marriage is hard. Y'all, it takes work. So Michelle starts out um, talking about, you know, how she wants women to feel free to just talk about certain issues. And I didn't include the whole section before that, um, but she was just talking about issues, including infertility, including career, um, different, different issues. And then she goes in to talk about um, the truth about marriage and marriage counseling and what it takes to make marriage work. Um, and I think that it's very important, whether it's, uh, relationship counseling or, or personal therapy or personal counseling. I think that it's, it goes back to that ideal that it's okay to ask for help, even professional help. Like we don't have all the answers. And I, I'm glad that she talks about this as being an option for couples, but I also want, you know, singles, or even if you're in a couple, like individual therapy is um amazing and can do wonders it's it's funny how some of the deep-rooted issues from the past can be showing up in your everyday life um but another key point that she mentions in this section and I want you guys to pay attention to this she talks about not relying on one person for your happiness so not relying on, you know, whether that's a spouse, whether that's a mom, whether that's even one thing. Don't rely on one thing for your happiness. Don't rely on your business success for your happiness or don't rely on your career success for your happiness. You know, like I, I, I find that when I'm coaching women, I find that sometimes there are women who are so unhappy in other areas of their life that they just pour all of this into their like career and and their and their um their career or their business and it's like they're they're trying to avoid um not being happy in the other areas of their life but they are um ab abandoning you know other other things that they could be working on uh, per se and and I say all that just to say is that it's not just don't rely on one person for your happiness. Don't rely on one thing for your happiness. You know, I truly do believe that joy and happiness, you know, comes from from God because I'm a believer. So I do believe that, you know, it comes from God. And, you know, we don't have to depend on any one person or any one thing that everything that we need to be happy, everything that we need to choose happiness is already within us. Um, but I'm going to let you know, Michelle, go ahead and, and kick off this section because she said a lot of key things that I think you guys will really enjoy. But I want us to get to a point as women where we feel like we can talk to each other about this kind of stuff. The same thing is true with marriage counseling, which is one of the reasons why I chose to share that because I think young couples, no one ever tells young couples that marriage is hard. It's hard. It's, it's hard for everyone. I 
for my sixth takeaway and my sixth takeaway is to put yourself on your priority list and don't give away your time before you've had a chance to fight for it Ooh, those are two very profound takeaways for me I don't know about y'all but like there have been times like I know I know there's like this huge self-care movement or maybe that's just the people that I'm around. I feel like everybody's really into self-care, which is awesome because it was not always like that. Like I can literally raise my hand right now and say that I was at the bottom of my priority list. And it wasn't until, 
you know, my mentors told me that like, you can only give from your overflow. You cannot give, you know, whether your cup, you know, they look at the cup, the cup example is the cup half empty is the cup half full, whatever. Even if you have a full cup, when you start pouring into somebody else, your cup is no longer full. You're no longer full. So you have to give from your overflow. Your cup has to be overflowing for you to give to other people, for you to give to um, society. So putting yourself on your priority list is vital. Um, and then that, that ideal not to give your time away before you had a chance to fight on it. So put the important things on your calendar first. I mean, it's, it's just that simple. Like to me, that was just something that I needed to hear, especially moving into 2019. Like I got to put myself at the top of my priority list. And, and one thing she talks about in this section is that men have no problem doing that. Women, for whatever reason, struggle with this. So, ladies, I don't know if you're like me, if you feel me right now, but I can raise my hand and say that this is something that I've struggled with. Um, So let's go ahead and cut to that clip so y'all can hear that section. something that women we nobody tells us we're supposed to do is push ourselves higher up on our priority list so that we make ourselves happy because men don't have a problem getting oh, their they're way up high on their list <laughs> <laughs> her husband ever miss a workout never miss a workout he was in shape while i was trying to get rid of my baby weight and i was mad at him and i thought well he's going to the gym he should go to the gym i have to figure out how to restructure my life and that wound up helping me as first lady to be able to prioritize being a mother and being in a national spotlight, having just never say no to work. We say yes to work first, and then we make everything happen around that. And I would find even as first lady is that when I would say no to stuff, life would go on because I'm not that necessary, really. People move on. They're like, okay, you can't be there. We'll do something else. Um, we're just not that important at work, but our kids can't say no. They, can, they don't have schedules, you know? So if I give all my time away and don't give my kids the first crack at my time, they'll always miss out. And I haven't learned to do that very early as a, as a young mother. Okay, are y'all ready for my seventh takeaway? We got three more, y'all. Okay, so the seventh takeaway is people will always assume that you can't So you have to be resilient. Resilience is so necessary. So necessary. Um, One thing about this section that she talks about, which I think was very helpful, is what do you do with the pain? Right? So people assume that we can't. We have, we know, you know, we talked about our naysayers earlier. Um, You know, they doubt us. They, they, throw stones at us. They say some really nasty things to us. And Michelle talks about some of the the nasty things that were said about both her and her husband, um, Barack Obama, while they were, um, while he was campaigning. And even after, even to this day, things, nasty things that are being said about them. Um, so she talks about what do you do with the pain? Because a lot of us are just kind of told to just, you know, move forward. And it's like, some of those things really hurt. And I just think it's so great that she talked about what we do with that pain because I know that there have been things that have been said about me. There are things that have been said to me that truly did hurt and ignoring them did not make them any better. 
So I'm going to cut to that clip right now. You got to be ready. You got to be able to do the work, which means you got to get your education uh, in this world and, and learn how to deal with resilience and how to accomplish things. Because people will always assume that you can. Well, and people see you now. A lot of the young people who you met with earlier and certainly around the country don't remember what you went through in that first campaign and the kind of outrageous attacks that were directed towards both you and your husband that you really had to just swallow and give a little It was kind of like being bullied. You were bullied. It's exactly, it was they were trying to bully you. They were trying to strip you down. So you're right, you do the work, but, but how, what do you do with the pain? Because it's painful. You know, one of the reasons I write about the pain is that for me writing about it, I had to confront that. I, I, I put, make sure that I spell out all of it, because a lot of it I just ignored. I had to just not take it in, just like I said, don't take in the, but I knew it was there. I got enough clips and enough taste of what people were saying about me, the names they were calling me, what they were accusing me of not loving my country, of not being human, of being illiterate, of not being articulate, of lying about who I was. Um, uh, I knew that was out there, but I, I, I wanted, I, I, I wanted young kids as they read the story to read that part of it because it's, it was my therapy of getting through it and saying that, that did happen. Because when bad stuff happens, it's okay to say that it hurts. That's not what going high is. Going high isn't ignoring the pain. Because that, I don't think that helps you. you know? I think it's important to identify to make people know that hurt. What you did, you were successful, so let's not pretend you weren't trying to hurt me. You know? I'm not gonna let you off that easily. It hurt, and that's what you were trying to do. You were trying to weaken me. You were trying to question me. I want young people to know when you feel that that's real, it's not in your head, you know, because you can't combat it if you think, well, maybe it's not really happening. Oh, yes, it's happening. Um, own it, um, but don't let it eat you up, and don't let it define who you're gonna be. Don't let that be your response. Barack and I could not afford to respond to that stuff mm. because he was running the country. So my eighth takeaway, my eighth takeaway is that you have to take care of your home first. The former first lady of the United States of America said that she was going to take care of her home first. Um, and in this section, she talks about, you know, women that were critical of that and I I remember I think there was like a um an episode on the Oprah show I've seen clips of it on uh YouTube where women are talking about this ideal that when when you take care of your home first you know everything else in your in your life kind of kind of um works out better like when you know your kids and your kids and your husband and everybody is taken care of like you have the peace of mind to kind of give to everything else and I think that's kind of what Michelle was talking about right here um and it's it's going back to giving from the overflow so I'm just going to cut to that clip right here and uh, this is takeaway number eight which is take care of your home first and that's one of the reasons why I said, when people ask, what, do you, what are your goals as First Lady? I said, I've got to be mom in chief first. 
um, first and foremost, I have to make sure that my home is in order before I can do anything real for anybody else. Of course, I'd be doing both, but the, the interesting thing was is that when I said that, the first people to be critical of it were women. You know, they were women. How dare you say that that's what you're going to be, mom and chief? You've got all these degrees and that's all you're going to be? And it's like, wow. See, and I want us to stop there, ladies, <laughs> because we do that to each other, you know? We judge our, each other's choices if there is a right choice. And we don't value one of the greatest gifts that we do have, which is parenting. You know, it is, I don't care what I've accomplished in this book throughout my life, the greatest gift I've been given is the gift of mothering Leah and Sasha. And to me, it's the most important impact that I can have. I have control over these two little lives. I can create good citizens, or I can create two messed up beings out in the world. And if I can take my energy and time, and I, you, I can do both. I can be first lady, but I can also be a mother first. So my last and final takeaway, y'all, we made it to takeaway number nine. Uh, my last and final takeaway from the Becoming Tour was don't get lost in the stats. Don't get lost in the stats. Our stories connect us, and it is harder to hate up close. Y'all, that, that was so good. Um, but one of these things that she talks about is don't get lost in the stats. Like, you know, what school did you go to? Um, how long have you been in this career? How long have you been dating? How long have you been married? Like all these stats. Um, and she talks about our stories connecting us. And I think that's one reason that I really fell in love with podcasting. And I really fell in love with not only doing this podcast, like if you guys can't tell, I really do enjoy talking to you guys every week. I really do enjoy the feedback that I'm receiving. But not only doing the podcast, but I'm I also consume a lot of podcasts. And I think that's one reason why I really love it is because I hear the stories and the stories are typically more intimate and the stories are are typically more like I'm sitting down in a room with the person who's the host and they're just telling me these stories and it's it doesn't it's not the same as like reading something on social media like I I don't know maybe that's just me um but I'm gonna cut to this this final clip which is my ninth takeaway which is don't get lost in the stats our stories connect us and it's harder to hate up close but as we look around this arena, and arenas all over, not just the country, but the world, are being filled up with people who've been touched by, I won't even say it's my story, but the story of this little working class kid named Michelle Robinson, who had an ordinary life and had some tails and some highs and some lows. Uh, because what that tells me is that people of all backgrounds, all skin tones of all political persuasions can relate to this story in some way. Um, and I want us to remember that, that our stories, those little stories, not the eight years in the White House, but every, all those little twists and turns, the bumps, the cuts, the pains, the joys, the triumphs, those are the things that connect us. And I think sometimes we get lost in what I say our stats. You know, we get focused on what career, what school did you go to, what kind of degree do you have? 
when the truth of who we are is really in those, those nuggets, those details, those things we brush off as not being important, our first loves, the way we felt about our father, the relative that moved us, the smell of the, our father's first car, you know, that first kiss that you had, those disappointments in life, those cuts, those pains, those are our stories. And if we can be brave enough to tap into our own stories and know that they are of value, that all of our stories are the true stories of America, there isn't one white right way to be an American, there isn't one color that represents it, there's no one political party that's more American than not. We're all part of the criticism of American Because here's the thing I've learned from people all campaigning and going into people's living, living rooms and talking to them is that it's harder to hate up close. You know, it's harder to hate when you know someone. But when you don't know them, then people can do like they did with white flight, which is whisper into your ear about who they think you are. They can, they can, they can lead by fear because we're vulnerable to fear because we haven't gotten to know each other. And we need to push beyond fear and trust that our stories will connect. You know, there are more of us, regular folks, just living this little life. You know, some of us may become first lady, but that wasn't the part of my story that made me who I am. It's the journey. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, I'm so glad that I was able to share a piece of this with you to share my key takeaways, um, especially right before the end of the year. I feel like it's necessary. And this is one of those episodes like you guys can go back and listen to over and over again. I have certain podcast episodes that I go back and listen to over and over again because I know that I need to I can't hear I can't hear certain information and just remember it. Um, so I thank you guys for listening. And I know that you know three to five people who could use this information. So I want you to do me a favor and go ahead and share it with them. Share it on your social media and tag me on Instagram at my money mogul. Um, or you can tag my personal Instagram, which is at Jaleesa Ann. And I really do appreciate y'all listening. And I will see y'all next week. Next week will be the last podcast of the year, y'all. Oh my gosh, it's so crazy. So I'll see y'all next week.